Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In some ways, I think the children's message and the kids' answers are a better sermon that I could even give. I think the one kid said, the sermon is all about Jesus. Pastor Scott's gone this week. He says, oh, you just have to preach about Jesus. There's so many things you could say about Jesus. The hard part is, what am I not going to say and what am I going to say? One of my favorite stories, and perhaps you've, you've heard it or, or, or something like it, uh, there's this guy who, for whatever reason, decides he's in the market for a parrot. And so he starts looking in Craigslist, and he sees this great deal on a parrot. And so he contacts the, the guy, and the gentleman brings the bird over in the cage, and he looks at it, and, and he goes, wow, he's a beautiful bird, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, but they live long, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they live, they live very, very long. Special diet, you know, gave him all the, all the information. And so handed him the money, and the guy who was selling it kind of made a quick dash from the door, and he turned around and goes, I just got to let you know, he's got a really large vocabulary, and he says a lot of things he shouldn't say, and he quick dashes out. And the guy goes, how bad can this be? Well, this parrot starts cursing and swearing around the kids, starts just being so rude to his new owner, saying nasty things about his wife. It gets to the point where this guy can't take it anymore. He grabs the parrot, opens up the freezer, and shuts the door and and, and just leaves him in there. And he catches his breath for a minute, kind of regains his composure. Then he hears a little knock, 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 knock. And so he opens up the freezer, and, and, and the parrot says, uh, good, good day, sir. Is it okay now if I, if I come out? And the guy says, okay, have you learned your lesson? Oh, quite, quite. I will, I will not speak that way around your children anymore. I'm, I, I'm so sorry. Okay, where's your lovely wife? How is she today? And the guy goes, what, what turned you around? And he says, well, I saw what you did to the chicken, and I didn't want that to happen to me. <laughs> now, now, in many ways, it's a funny, a funny joke, but in many ways, the way that the parrot thought the owner was is how Martin Luther used to think God the Father was. And last week we looked at God the Father being, being our creator. Martin Luther saw God the Father as an angry judge, as a fearsome father. He, he knew in his mind that salvation came from God in Christ Jesus. But when he saw God, he thought, now I need to live the most righteous life I can or else I'm not going to be worthy of his forgiveness. I need to do all the things that, that I receive in my penance from confessing my sins or else I will not be worthy of forgiveness from God. And even when he did all these things and and, and he tried his best to do all these things, he had this fear in the back of his mind and probably in the pit of his stomach. Have I done enough? 
And in fact, Luther would write, I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. He saw this God who, who, would, who would punish the sinful and who would make it so that he lived in such fear of not knowing whether he measured up to God's standard for forgiveness that he hated God the Father. And a lot of times it becomes so very easy for us to allow that mentality to creep in our, in, in, into our minds. We, we imagine a conversation with God going before God's throne and God saying, do you know that you're a sinner? Yes, I, I am a contrite sinner. And then God would say, do you have anything that you can bring to merit my forgiveness? And we start looking through our pockets and going into our minds and say, a lot of people on 465, they, they drive way over the speed limit and I try and keep it to 50. And uh, we got our cat from, from, the, from the Humane Society. I know that's, that, 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 that's a good thing. And, um, and I try and hold the door for people at the grocery store. And, and we give to charities. Um, uh, there's, there's probably some other stuff. I can't think of it right now. But, but yeah, I've got those. And God says, it doesn't pay the price. Your works do not pay the price. In fact, in Isaiah 64, it says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even though we know that salvation is from Jesus, we can allow the idea that we can add to our salvation or, or we can merit our forgiveness by the good that we do. But Scripture tells us that our good deeds, our, our, our attempts at making ourselves righteous, are nothing but filthy rags. And that's what brings us to, to looking at the second person of the Trinity, the God who redeems us. See, what, what created a major turn in Luther's understanding of God is when he started to translate the Bible into, into German, into the language of the people. And when he translated Romans, that was one of the, the major moments for him. And early on in Romans, it said this. I'm going to put these words up on the screen. And, and it's divided up in this interesting way, centered, because I want to draw out particular phrases. Here's what Romans 1.17 says. For in the gospel, in the gospel, a righteousness. In Luther's mind, it was his righteousness. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God. Not Luther's own righteousness, but God's righteousness. It's revealed. A righteousness from God is revealed in the gospel. A righteousness that is by faith. And that faith is nothing but a gift from God. Righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. When Luther translated these words, he realized that forgiveness was not from his own righteous acts. In fact, on our own righteous acts, forgiveness and salvation is impossible because our righteous acts are nothing but filthy rags. But this verse gave him the assurance that forgiveness is through faith in the righteous acts of Jesus Christ. 
The good news of Jesus Christ is what assures us of our forgiveness, that assures us of our righteousness in God's sight, and assures us of our salvation. This was a major turning point for Luther in his understanding of who God is. Rather than despising God, Luther wanted to know him more. He wrote, Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise through open gates. And I extolled my sweetest word with a love as great as the hatred which I had had before, hated the word righteousness of God. Luther realized that there's no better way of knowing God than through the person and life of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In the life and ministry of Jesus, we get to know everything that we need to know about God the Father. And so as we look at at Jesus and who we confess him to be in the Apostles' Creed, one of the things that's, that's paramount in that understanding is, is understanding the, the two natures of, of Christ, that he is both fully God with all of the divine attributes that God has, at the same time being fully man with all of those creaturely attributes. And this, is, this wasn't um, anything new for Luther. Luther grew up understanding about the two natures of Christ. But it's important for us to understand that for us to have a Savior, our Savior had to be four things. First, our Savior had to be sinless. Leviticus 19 says, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. God cannot abide by sin. Where there is sin, God cannot be. And so God said, Be holy because I am holy. So our Savior had to be sinless. First Thessalonians also says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Not only did our Savior have to be sinless, our Savior had to be able to pay the price for sin. And what's the price for sin? Death. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Our Savior had to be able to die, to pay the penalty of our sins in himself. Our Savior also had to be able to forgive the sins of sinful mankind. In Mark and in Luke it says, who can forgive sins but God alone? Nobody. Only God is capable of forgiving sins. Romans 8 says, it is God who justifies. Our Savior had to be able to forgive the sins of sinful mankind. And then fourth, our Savior had to be able to overcome death and the devil. Psalm 68 says, Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. And in Jonah chapter 2, salvation comes from the Lord. Our Savior had to be sinless. Our Savior had to be able to die. Our Savior had to be able to forgive. And our Savior had to be able to overcome death death, and the devil. And that is why our Savior has these two natures of both fully man and fully God. Our Savior had to be human because only a human can die. God 
cannot die. If you cut God, he will not bleed. He doesn't have a physical presence. And so in in order for our Savior to be able to bleed and die for us, he had to be human. But we know we humans are sinful. And so to do all those other things, our Savior had to be divine. Because only God can be sinless. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can overcome death and the devil. And so in Jesus, we see the eternal God the Son taking on flesh and being fully God and fully man at the same time so that he could take away our sins. That's what we call the incarnation, when God became flesh. And we celebrate the incarnation, especially at Christmas. And that's why Christmas is so important for us, especially as Lutheran Christians. Not just, not just Christmas and all of, the, all of its trappings, the, the trees and the lights and the presents, although those make Christmas special and nice for us. But even, even not just Christmas in, in, in some of the, the sacred trappings that we put on, you know, like it, it has to be uh, Silent Night sung by candlelight. Those are wonderful traditions, and, and they help us to celebrate Christmas. But those things aren't what makes Christmas special. We need to turn our focus to the incarnation. As Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, sons and daughters. Familiar words from John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so at Christmas, we have the almighty, eternal God the Son taking on human flesh. The creator becomes a creature. And when we look to some of those familiar words from the Christmas story, we begin to see the picture take shape even more. As the angel said to Joseph, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so why is God sending this God with us? The angel says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then as the angel makes the announcement to the shepherds, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And so the angel says that that this baby born will be Emmanuel. This baby born will be God with us, and we're to give him the name Jesus because that name means God saves. And the angels tell the shepherds his title. He is the Christ, which means the Messiah. He is the anointed one. God with us, the God who saves, the anointed one has been born and is lying in a manger amongst the filth of animals in a cave. God out of his pristine divinity in heaven, enters our human timeline in an incredible way. God and man united in one person for the specific purpose 
of saving sinful mankind from our sins, of saving me from my sins, of saving you from your sins, of saving the world that he loves from their sins. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus, the Son of God, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Everything about the incarnation of the eternal Son ultimately shows his love and thus God's love, our Father's love for us. This understanding helped Martin Luther reframe how he understood God the Father. In fact, Luther would say that Jesus is the mirror of the Father's heart. If you look at Jesus, you can see the Father's heart. Through knowing Jesus as a man, we penetrate the heart of God. Luther found God the Father himself in person in Jesus Christ. Songs for worship were very important for Martin Luther. And in our hymnal, he wrote many, uh, uh, I think about, there's about 20 hymns uh, that we have in our hymnal that he either wrote in their entirety or he took older, even some ancient hymns and added uh, verses to them. One of them that I admit I'm not super familiar with from the Christmas section of our hymnal is called We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. And this is, this is one that's a more ancient hymn that, that Luther wrote a new verse for because the incarnation was so important to him in his understanding of God. And one of the verses says this, All this, meaning the incarnation, God coming down to earth, all this for us our God has done, granting love through his own Son. One thing matters that the incarnation shows us. One thing matters, and that is that God is not against us. God is for us. Luther was assured of this in the good news of Emmanuel, God with us. That God, the creator of the universe, loves us so much that he became one of his own creatures so that he could save us. And instead of viewing God as the angry father or, or as the fearsome judge, we now know him as he is revealed in the person of Jesus. And in the person of Jesus, we see that he is a loving and forgiving father. First John says, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. So we heard in our gospel reading of, of Jesus being with his, his disciples and Caesarea Philippi, which was an area known for its pagan worship. And, and he asked them, you know, who, who are people saying that the Son of Man is? And they threw out their answers. Well, some say Elijah. Others say the Son of Man was uh, John the Baptist or maybe one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them very point blank. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter boldly confesses, you are the Christ, the anointed one. You are the Son of the living God. Brothers and sisters, may our confession be as bold as that of Peter about who Jesus is. May our confession about who Jesus is be as bold as the writers of the scriptures. May our confession of who Jesus is be as bold as that of Martin Luther. That Jesus is God in the flesh. 
That he is God as he has chosen to reveal himself to us. That he is the God who loves us. And that he is the God who is absolutely everything that we need to save us from sin, death, and the power of the devil by his death and resurrection. That Jesus is the God who redeems us. And because he has redeemed us, we are his and he is ours. This is most certainly true.